Alpha 19, Alpha 19, came Geraldine's voice over the radio. Thomas Malcolm liked Geraldine's voice. He thought she sounded like one of those sexy young girls you see dancing on MTV. She was actually in her 50s and at least 25 stone. She had a fantastic voice. Someone said she had a good face for radio and Thomas thought they got that right. She also won double glazing saleswoman of the year two years running. Alpha 19 replied Thomas. He was always Thomas not Tom because he loved Thomas the tank engine although he was actually named after his grandfather who was also Thomas Malcolm. Thomas had been a machine fitter at the bottling plant but with the recession he was laid off. He bought a grey Vauxhall with his redundancy money and turned to minicabbing. Alpha 19, pick up at King's Cross, Amherst Road, wait and return. This was the call he'd been waiting for. It was a regular every Thursday about midday and Geraldine usually gave it to him if he was available. He started the engine and set off, his heart beating faster than normal. His mum's voice was still ringing in his head from the previous day. Although born in East London within the sound of Bow Bells and a true Cockney, she was half West Indian and used a West Indian accent when she wanted to stress things. Thomas, what wrong with you? Why you don't settle down with a nice girl? This was painful. Olive, his girlfriend of more than three years, had just left him and gone to Canada with some guy from her workplace. The radio crackled. Alpha 19, how's it going? He turned the corner. I've got him in sight, he replied. The passenger was dressed as always in a beige jacket and trousers with a white hat and carrying a briefcase. Not that unusual in King's Cross, but his clothes always looked sharp. Thomas thought he looked a bit like a cartoon character or Kid Creole. Thomas pulled up and the passenger got in. He never spoke. Thomas assumed he spoke little or no English. He pulled away to avoid getting a ticket. He made the usual trip and as normal at Amherst Road another man got in, looking somewhat scruffier than the original one but with an identical briefcase. And the new passenger, as always, asked him to drive to the Tesco's in Green Lanes. On the way they both opened their cases, looked briefly inside and closed them again. The combination was 7777 on both cases. Thomas had been watching them in the mirror. He parked up at the Tesco's and the scruffy passenger got out and handing Thomas 30 quid said take him to McDonald's and then drop him back at the station. Thomas drove the few hundred yards to McDonald's and the passenger got out the car and went into the restaurant leaving the suitcase on the back seat. He always used the toilet and then ordered a meal. Every time a new driver got this job they talked about it back in the office. Thomas always said to the new driver, if he does that again, I'll drive off with it. There has to be at least a million quid in it. And the other drivers would say, and the Colombians will shoot you before you can get to the end of the street. However, this time Thomas was ready. The moment he knew the passenger was in the toilet, he swapped the case for an identical one he kept in the boot, filled with newspaper so it was the right weight, and went back to his seat. His heart was really pounding now. Ten minutes later the passenger returned and he drove to the side entrance of King's Cross station where the passenger got out with the case and went straight into the station without even looking back. 
Thomas drove off immediately, heading straight for his former girlfriend's house. Leaving the car on a double yellow line, he ran into the garage and pulled a bag from the space in the ceiling. He put on a jacket, then a checked cowboy shirt, scruffy blonde wig, false beard and some biker-style dungarees with Harley in huge letters on the back. He really looked like an American biker in his 60s. He put the briefcase into a sack and slid out and up the street. He crossed the railway by the footbridge, went into the bus station on the other side and he bought a coach ticket to the end of the route. Then he went back through the passage that led to the back door. The two old ladies in the waiting room were gossiping in a foreign language and didn't notice as he slipped into the toilet area. He pushed the door to the disabled toilet and locked it behind him. Off with the dungarees, off with the cowboy shirt, he flushed the false beard down the toilet. Out of the sack he took a sports bag and a security guard's hat and jacket. He was already wearing the trousers to match. Thomas rolled the combination to 7777 on each lock, flipped open the case. His eyes popped when he saw the wads of fresh hundred dollar bills wedged in tightly. He pulled one loose, his heart thumping. Yes, it was real money. He emptied the briefcase into a sports bag and then the rest of the contents of his sack. Then he put, it on, put the cowboy shirt, the dungarees, the briefcase into the sack. He put the sports bag over his shoulder and he walked out, pausing to put the sack in the recycling bin as if tidying up. Then he got on a bus, flashing an oyster card and a few stops later he got off at Victoria Station. He crossed the road, went into an Italian cafe. Once again he entered the toilet. He removed his jacket, opened the sports bag and got out a loose khaki waistcoat with loads of pockets he'd bought in the market just for this job. Carefully packed the wads of money into the pockets and he also packed two shoe boxes full of money as well. He put the grey tracksuit bottoms over his blue trousers, replaced his blue uniform shirt with a fake designer sweatshirt, put on a baseball cap. After checking all the clothing he'd removed was in a plastic carrier bag, he left through the back door. He crossed the road and went into the post office where he posted the shoe boxes to prearranged addresses. Then he took the train to Gatwick where he collected a large suitcase with wheels from the left luggage. He'd really prepared for this. He knew the toilets in the airport had CCTV, so he crossed to the multi-storey car park and used the toilets there to change yet again. He emptied the dollars from the waistcoat into a small suitcase he'd taken from the wheelie suitcase. He put on a loose t-shirt with a Barbados flag he'd bought in Carnival he removed the grey tracksuit bottoms to reveal the blue trousers from the security guard outfit, put on his baseball cap backwards. He swapped his driving shoes for sandals, checked in the mirror. Yes, he really looked like a holiday maker. He left the wheeled suitcase in the toilet, but his previous clothes went in a black bin liner that he put in a big bin as he left the car park. He crossed the forecourt, walked over to the BA check-in area for Barbados, and put his tickets and passport on the counter. The girl at the counter said, David Thomas? He paused blankly for a moment and then remembered it was the name on the fake passport he'd got from a bar in Essex Road from a very friendly but slightly drunk Russian guy. He quickly nodded. 
She asked him for an extra 50 quid to change the date on the ticket and he handed over the £50 note he had expressly for this purpose. She typed rapidly on the computer and handed him a boarding pass. He put the little suitcase on the weighing machine. She tagged it and gave him the baggage check. He nodded his thanks, turned and walked through to the departure lounge nervously. The wait for the security check was very stressful, but the security guards were too busy dealing with a woman and her four unruly children to really worry about him. Having sandals and no baggage probably made him no threat. He walked slowly across the lounge to the chapel for a quiet moment alone. It was the ideal spot to wait. He kept his head down and few, the few people who came in had their own worries and were not concerned with him. Just after 10 in the evening, 15 minutes before departure, he made his way to gate 37. There the TV was showing the news. He watched the headlines. A man was found shot dead in the toilets in King's Cross Station and another man is missing, believed killed. There was a picture of him taken on his 18th birthday in West Ham Strip with long hair. Luckily, it looked nothing like him. His car was found abandoned on the South Circular just after midday today. Police are connecting the two incidents and believe a biker gang was involved. They've released this CCTV video showing the people who may be able to help with their inquiries. The blurry CCTV image showed Thomas in his biker disguise with a sack on his back crossing the railway bridge. Quite by chance there were two other bikers a few yards behind him. He remembered the bikers used the cafe a few doors from the station and in fact that's what gave him the idea for the disguise. Thomas boarded the plane, put his earpieces in his ears and tried to sleep. That biker disguise was a stroke of genius, he told himself. He was too excited to sleep. His heart was really pounding. The airline stewardess came round and he ate the small, unexciting airline meal and had a hot chocolate. He was so exhausted he finally did go to sleep. Six hours later, he was woken by his ears popping as the plane descended. The landing was very smooth and the passengers all clapped the pilot for his skill. Thomas was still barely awake when he disembarked he thanked the pilot and crew as he left the plane like everybody else. It was still early in the morning, but stepping out of the plane was like entering an oven. The passengers streamed slowly and noisily into the terminal building and he was relieved to be in an air-conditioned place again. His relief when he collected the suitcase was even greater. He changed four $50 notes for almost 500 Bajan dollars at the airport and then took a shuttle bus into Bridgetown. He enjoyed the music in the bus and watched the other passengers. He didn't look out of place, he thought, looking at the people around him. Outside the main post office, he showed a taxi driver an address he had written on a piece of paper. No problem, said the driver, opening the door. The taxi bumped along slowly. The driver was in no rush. He tried to make conversation about cricket, but Thomas was just too tired for that and nodded off from time to time. Near the top of a steep hill, they came to a stop outside a brightly coloured wooden house. The driver pointed to it. That's Mrs Malcolm's house. That'll be $8.50, said the driver. Thomas handed him a $10 note and said, keep the change. The driver thanked him and drove on. Thomas looked at the house for a minute. Then he pulled the old-fashioned bell push 
and the bell clanged irregularly. A few minutes later, a short, stout woman with grey hair opened the door and looked at him blankly. Why you want? Me nah buy nothing. She looked very stubborn with her arms folded. But her clothes were very brightly coloured and with the morning sun on her and with not much sleep, he was dazzled. She was a lot older, but he recognised her from the photos on the wall at home. Hi, Nan. I'm Thomas, Elsie's son. Oh, Thomas, why you don't say you was coming? I sent a letter saying I was coming. I sent it weeks ago, he lied. Did you not get it? Her face gradually broke into a smile and then she laughed just like his mum. After much hugging and crying, Thomas explained, Nan, I've done really well for myself and I want to come home and marry a local girl. Nan replied, We are plenty nice girl here, boy, but tell me why you want to marry them. You in some kind of trouble? They both laughed. Alpha 19, you sleeping, Alpha 19, came Geraldine's voice over the radio. Thomas woke with a start. He looked around. He was still in the Vauxhall and still in London. He tried to wipe the sleep from his eyes. Alpha 19, he replied. Get your arse into gear. King's Cross to Amherst Road, wait and return, replied Geraldine.